this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. You know, when we left um, Abram last week, I mean, it was pretty obvious that he, he really made a huge mistake. I mean, he, he went into Egypt without even considering asking the Lord to somehow show him what direction. I mean, obviously, he wants to care for his family. Obviously, this famine is serious. But he never asked. He never asked for counsel. What should I do, Lord? He didn't even think. He didn't even recall that I'll make you a great nation. I will make your name great. You know, and then he didn't even consider the damage of what could be done with poor Sarai. So, you know, we kind of left thinking, you know, when they went to their tent that night, did he, did he just lay there for a while and just consider what he had done? Because, you know, for one thing, I'm sure by now he realizes that he didn't trust, he didn't ask the Lord, and that was number one mistake. But then I think he did start thinking, and what would have happened if, if Sarah had been defiled, if her womb had been defiled, this whole covenant promise would have been done. And then I wonder if he thought, you know, this was really quite embarrassing. When, when Pharaoh himself looked and said, why did you do that, Abram? I mean, what a question coming from the Pharaoh. What made you say that, that she's your sister when she's your wife? I mean, the Pharaoh looking at Abram and saying that. And then he goes on to, the Pharaoh goes on to say, just get out of here. Just get out of here. Did, did Abram lay there and think, man, I had such opportunity. I could have said to Pharaoh, yeah, I really made a mistake. I didn't trust our God, and I know our God promised us to supply what we need, and he already told me he was going to make a great nation out of me, and I still, I, I tried to fix that. So I tried to be the solution. I tried to fix it myself. But it was so humiliating to know that I'm kicked out with no other words and to realize I had an opportunity and I didn't tell him. I didn't confess and repent, right? Even to him saying, I want you to know this was on me. This was my wrong choice. So that's kind of where we left last week. I had in a white space between chapter, between chapter 12 and 13, I kind of thought, yep, he's laying there thinking about it. And then we start the lesson tonight. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev. Now, the Negev is not a city, it's an area. And it, it bears pointing out because the Negev is a southern, it's in the southern territory of what will be Israel. And it's from the Dead Sea down. So they cross from Egypt and when, you know, across the southern border into Canaan. And, and so, um, but what I, what I want you to see that in this lesson, these two people, 
or this group of people, Abram and his, and his little core group, they're on the move, and they're, they're traveling. So by the time we're done tonight, they're already nearing the northern, the tribe of Dan, which is in the northern part of this territory. So, you know, I, I just found that interesting, that, that, you know, they're intense, and they're probably in a different place every time, and they're traveling from the south all the way to the north. And uh, so anyway, they, they um, travel from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. I hope you don't mind. This is my opinion, and, and you know whenever I give my opinion, you can take or leave it. You don't even have to. It's fine. But there is, in this study, these two chapters... I thought to myself, I wonder if, well, we'll turn to Genesis 12.1. Let's reread that from last week. The Lord had said, remember when he had already given this to Abram when he was in, um, before they moved to Haran, you know, when they, when they, you know, lived even before that. So Abram's had this promise covenant for quite a while, and he's been processing it, thinking about it. So the Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. So I know Lot is family, but God said, leave your father's household, which, remember, Abram, his father, was Terah. Terah had three sons, Abram and Nahor and and Haran. And you know, we know that Lot, that Haran became the father of Lot, and Haran passed away. So, you know, maybe, you know, in, in a soft heart, he said, well, you know, he lost his dad. I'll take him along with me. And maybe that's what happened. But yet, you know, and I'll show you more along the way, but I just want to get you thinking. Could this be that the father's household, that he said, leave your father's household. Lot is from, from another son. And could it be the Lord just wanted Abram and Sarai to start out, or this covenant promise would be through these two? Because to me, every time we read about Lot, he's a pain in the neck. And I'm thinking, could it be that he, maybe he wasn't even supposed to be along? Now, I didn't just make it up. I, I really, really looked, and I'll give you pointers throughout. But then, too, make up your mind. You don't, you don't have to believe me. I'm just telling you that I, I think he should have stayed home. So anyway, now, here, from the Negev, he went from a place to place until he came to Bethel. The place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier. Now, last week again in chapter 12, verse 8, from there he went on toward the hills of east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And remember, we talked about what those altars meant. They were huge. It was a place where you just felt God's presence. You just felt like you met God there. And then, then it, 
The second reason was that usually there, there needed to be some kind of confession and repentance. You know, usually, you know, there's always something that we can, we know we've done wrong and we clear the air and we confess and repent and we know he'll forgive. And then, of course, the third step then was to recommit, to, to surrender and say, you know, I myself got in the way and I did what I wanted to do and I really blew it. And so I want to recommit. And then to think you have a God, you can do that too, that, that you have a God, that when you come with confession or repentance, he's not going to say, well, you kind of used up your quota, you know. No, he is always there to, to um, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then when you say, I, I surrendered all back again, you know, he's... He, just is welcoming. And then when you know you have a God who, who isn't keeping score, he loves it when you come and he can make it all right again. You just can't help but break out in praise. You know, we associated that with our altar is the cross. I mean, we should be going to the cross so many more times than what we do. So here, I think after, after in that white space, I think we think of Abram laying his tent and all these things, all these realizations of the mistake he made. And where does he go? He goes back to Bethel, where he had made this altar, and he calls on the name of the Lord. It's like, I need to get back walking with you again. Because remember, we've seen it in Noah, we've seen it in Abram. When they're walking with the Lord, they're able to do the impossible. They're able to believe and obey when it makes no sense at all. So he wants that back because he saw what happened when he got out of step. So he's, he's gone back to that altar and he is like getting that, that walk back. Now, Lot, verse 5, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. Wow, what a problem, huh? They were getting so many material things that, you know, they've been blessed so much that, look here, and the quarreling arose, here comes the quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. You know, you, you probably knew I was going to go there when, I, when you talk about the quarreling and the fighting and, and that, you know, why do we do that? And I thought, oh yeah, I remember, I remember James asked that same question. What's the matter with you? Why are there quarreling and, and, and contention and, and fighting going on? What is the matter? So I took you and your questions to James chapter 4, and, and James asked that. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come? <laughs> he lays it out. Don't you just appreciate James? Because he's Jesus' brother, who for the longest time, through most of his young life, he believed Jesus was just so embarrassing. He was such a joke. 
And now we have James, who is head of the Jerusalem church. He's writing a book of five chapters that are absolutely no nonsense. And so he comes out with this question that we all need, because we all do it. What is your problem? What are all these quarrels and fights going on? And, and he just nails it. He puts it right in there, and he says, don't they come from you, your desires, that battle within you? There's that self-battle. And then he goes on. You want something, you don't, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. Now, you say kill's a little strong. But, he, you know, he knows that killing maybe doesn't necessarily mean kill as we know kill, but it can kill a relationship. I mean, you can be bickering and quarreling and fighting, and you can, you know, it's all their fault and all this kind of thing, and you're not giving in because after all, I mean, you've seen it. You know the horror stories. Maybe it's happened to you, and boy, it just hurts so much, but it's because, it's because, you know, it's, it's right there. You know, you, you want what you want, and you're not willing to give in, and you're going to watch Abram, who is, who is willing to wave who he is just for the sake of just let it go. It isn't worth it. It isn't worth division and, and killing a relationship and, and coveting and all that because it makes you miserable. You look crabby. You act crabby. No one wants to be by you. And so James addresses it, and he said, you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And, but when you do ask God, you know, because it's like what Abram, he didn't even ask God what you to do. And so, you know, but when you do think, okay, I am going to ask God. I'm going to ask God. And then he says, and then you still don't get it. It's because you got to check your heart motive. Look at it. He says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motive. And he even goes on to tell you what that motive is, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasure. In three little verses, you have got so many me's, my's. There's the root. There's the, the whole foundation of fights and quarrels. And James says, you know, isn't that just a little ridiculous? In the scope of things, you get so hung up and you're willing to even, you know, let things deteriorate in a relationship just because you're going to stand on your rights and, you're, and they deserve it. And all this that defense excuses we come up with. So you have these two herdsmen, back to Genesis now, we have these two herdsmen who are quarreling, and, and look at this, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. Now remember, Abram and his core group are, are kind of surrounded by all the enemies or all the evil of Canaan. And, and so um, these Canaanites and Perizzites are listening to these two herdsmen quarreling and bickering and all that. And again, 
what kind of testimony? Because they're the ones, part of the covenant promise, they're the ones who probably wear on their back, oh, we believe in the one true God, the only God. And then look at them. I would dare say these Canaanites and these parasites are saying, but a bunch of hot air. Look at, they're just like us. I wrote something down. It says, I, I wrote down that many people will never listen to what believers say because of what some believers are. Isn't that the saddest thing? That some people might, might turn away from God and the Lord Jesus because they look at us and they, whoa. I'm going to read that again. Many people. Because they're watching. Because you and I, we wear that name on our back. And, and, you know, and we've told them plenty. And then when they see us behaving in such a way, many people will never listen to what any believer says because of what some believers are. See, now, Abram learned, I think. He really learned from his past mistake with Pharaoh because look what happens. Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Now, we know they're not literally brothers, but they are they are family, and they're brothers in the Lord or whatever. So he's saying, we shouldn't be doing this. It's not, it's not the whole land before you. I mean, we've got so much here. So let's just stop this quarreling. Let's, let's part company. We've got all this land. Why should we just be in one little place when we can spread out? So if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now, Abram could look at this territory, and it was, must have been very obvious that one ter- part of the territory was oh, green and lush and you know, very fertile, and, and then the other wasn't as much. Now, Abram could have, because he's boss, he's the head man here, he could have said, now Lot, I'm going this way, and you go that. But he is so willing to waive his rights and, and for the sake of, of harmony, because it's in the scope of things, Abram has learned, I have a God who's going to supply what I need, and he's going to come through with what he promised. It's like he, Abram's really learned, and he's walking with the Lord so right now, and it shows, and it's beautiful. And Lot, well, that's a whole other story. So Abram waved his right, and of course, of course, it's very obvious, Lot looked up, saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east, and the two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, when you answered one of the questions, isn't it just something to remember how sin, when it grabs you around the neck, how if you do not get rid of it, how, look at, he... Well, the Bible says that now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So he knows. He knows that these, 
these cities that he's going to be, especially Sodom here, he knows that the people here are wicked and they sin greatly against his Lord. And he never wants, again, similar to what we've been talking about, and this is what Jesus, what God really started in the whole first part of Genesis, is that you've always got a choice. It's either, you can either do it my way or you can do it your own way. So here we have it, where he knows that it's, it's the most sinful city around. And does he think, does he think that, boy, I don't think that's going to be a good influence for, for my wife, for my kids? My girls, I don't, I don't think that it's going to be a good influence. So, no, he doesn't consider that. The only thing that I can tell that maybe he was thinking like, well, I know it's not the best, best scenario here, and it's an evil city, so I'll just pitch our tent on the outskirts. I'll just, I'll just make sure that we're living on the outside of Sodom, and then it won't affect my family that much. See, he couldn't give in and say, no, I don't want to get near that. He couldn't do that. Why? Because, I mean, cha-ching, cha-ching, dollar signs. I mean, he is just so possessed with material things that he doesn't consider the influence on his family. And he excuses it. I, let's just pinch. Let's just pinch the tent outside the city. Well, you know from the question I asked you how how long that lasted. Look at verse fourteen. The Lord said to Abram, "See, here's another one of my points. After Lot had pardoned from him, so see, the Lord wanted to talk to Abram, but he wanted Lot out of the way." <coughs> And, and the Lord wanted Abram to hear this again. He wanted, he wanted Abram to hear the words that he had given him before, but to, he said, lift up your eyes, Abram, and, and look from the south, from the north to the east and to the west. Look at it. Look at it in, in the full circle all of this land you see, I will give to you. And that's another thing I thought. He said, not to you and Lot, to you. And your offspring. And then did you notice, I never saw this before. Look what that word is. To your offspring forever. I'm thinking to myself, and what we're seeing today I'm thinking, you know, that land that God gave them, that is his people's land. And I think, you know, anybody who comes after that land and claims it is theirs, they better know they're in trouble. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could possibly even count the dust then you would see how your offspring could be counted. I mean, he's kind of making a little, little uh, not sarcastic, but he's saying if there was anybody that could go to the beach and just start counting every grain of sand, I mean, it's impossible. But I want you to know that's how many descendants you're going to have. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. 
So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Here we go again. I just appreciated that. He knew it was time for another altar in this particular place. I see Abram at this time listening to God, reminding him, lift, lift your eyes, look over everything, and then it's all going to be your offspring. And if you want to know how many your offspring are going to be, you can't even begin to count them. And then I thought to myself, this is 2 Corinthians, what is 2 Corinthians 5, 7? When Paul reminds you and me that what the Lord loves is when we walk by faith and not by sight. Because in these couple verses alone, Abraham is walking by faith. He's got to. Because for one, this land that God said is going to be his, well, it's filled with pagan enemies, evil. And they're not going to just, you know, walk out there and say, oh, sure, you can have it. We'll, we'll go somewhere else. I mean, he knows that's not going to happen. So how in the world, he's thinking, how in the world am I going to get this? It doesn't look logical. It doesn't look reasonable at all. It doesn't even look possible. But he doesn't. He walks by faith because God said it. Not by sight and and rational reasoning. And then when he says, yeah, your offspring, you can't even count them. And he's thinking, yeah, and my wife has been barren. I mean, remember when we were in chapter 11, that was a big verse that we said we got to make sure we know that even back in chapter 11, Abram and Sarah had no children. So walking by faith, not by sight. You know who can do that? You know who can walk by faith and not need to see? People who are walking with God. And they sense his presence. And they're listening to his voice through his word. And they trust that his word is true. And they're willing to believe it. That's that's who can walk by faith and not have to see Now, chapter 14, <laughs> I have a friend who would have been here tonight, but she had surgery yesterday, so she can't be here. And, but she did send me a text that said, I can't wait to listen to the podcast because I can't wait to hear how you pronounce all those king's names. <laughs> yep. And, and I'll tell you, um, she's going to be quite surprised, because I'm not. I'm not going to, because I don't think it's that big a deal. I mean, I, even, even if I could eloquently pronounce them all properly, I still don't think it's a big deal. Because all we know from chapter 14 is that, you know, we got Abram and his covenant believers right, right there with, with you got five kings and four kings and that these nine kings are at war with each other. And because, and I think this is where, this is where it, it, you know, really gets to what is really important here. 
is that, you know, this is normal when, when you have um, war and, and one is trying to be superior and the other one is trying to take them down, and that's what we got. It's just normal war. But the lesson that we need to see here, I think, is in verse 12. So I'm sorry if I'm not going to pronounce these words for you if you were expecting me to, but I still think we just, the purpose is to see that this, this country, this territory, they were at war with each other. And because, it says, Lot was in Sodom. Look at verse 12. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Huh. How did that tent move? He, he moved it. He moved it. You know, like, I, I got to get more involved here, you know. And, and remember, the next, we're going to get to it later, of course, in different in different week, but you see that, you know, he's on, he's on the city council next time. So he's moved from outside the city to in the city to then being on the board of running the show. Look at sin can do. So because of, of this, um, you know, when I first started studying the 14th chapter, I, I was trying to figure out, okay, five kings, four kings, which is the good side, which is the bad side. And then I thought, of course. They're all bad. They're all rotten. You know, this is this is just you know nation against nation. You know, typical war stuff. But but you know because of Lot's um, involvement in in Sodom, then he was carried away with all his possessions. See, if you don't think sin is dangerous and the consequences are, aren't there. Why in Genesis, at the beginning of God's word, is he putting all of these examples of real life stuff, the temptations that we can fall into, the choices that we have to make? Every week, it's been kind of the same thing, and he's used these specific characters to pretty much say, uh, do you see you in this? See what I'm trying to get you to learn because of them, from their successes, when they did what they were told, when they walked with me, look what they were able to do. But when they chose to let self take over, look what happened to them. They're examples for you and I to see for our own personal life. And, and sin is it hurts the Lord, and there's consequences. And now he and his family and all his possessions are carried away. Verse 13, one, had, one who had escaped came and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. First time, first time you heard the word Hebrew. And Hebrew is what we know is a Jew who then, which Jesus is, and so this is the beginning of the Hebrew nation, but what, what's with this name Hebrew? Well, there's quite a bit. Um, the meaning of Hebrew is to cross over to the other side. 
Now, maybe, maybe to people then who didn't know the Lord or that, that God doesn't do anything by coincidence or what, but that, that even in names like Hebrew, it's, it's so maybe they didn't even think twice about it. Well, yeah, Abram, he had to get from here to here. He had to cross over the Euphrates. When he, when he moved from here to here, he had, a, he had to do that crossover to the other side. But how can you and I not see the spiritual impact of that word Hebrew and the meaning of what it means? I mean, it means cross over to the other side. I mean, isn't that what Jesus has done for us? He crosses us over from death to life, to, from hell to heaven, to old life, to new life. I could go on and on. We are crossed over because of Jesus. We can live in hope instead of hopeless because we've crossed over. Even in a name like Hebrew, and this is where it's, it's said Hebrew for the first time. Now, Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre and Amor. And the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol, and Enner, uh, all of them were allied with Abraham. Abram. So he did have some allies. Somehow he picked up some allies, which was good. But when the person told him that law was taken, I mean, of course he went into full gear as far as we've got to get him back. Now, look what, look what happened here. It says, when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the three, 318 trained men born in his household. So these are not the allies. These are 318 men that he has deliberately trained and why? Why did he train them? I mean, he's not a military man. Abraham wasn't a militant. But he knew that it's so good to be prepared and ready because life will throw us curves and surprises and we have to be ready and prepared on how we're going to handle it. I mean, we've all been there, haven't we? We're... we're all of a sudden, either a diagnosis or a loss of a loved one. Yeah, I mean, it just threw you. This is life, though. We all have, I mean, when cars are taken away and this kind of thing, when, all, when we've all had things in our life that, that we just didn't want to happen because it's just going to change everything. And you have one of two choices when these kinds of things happen. We, and it's so human to just take a dive and just wallow in what we wished, but it's not. Or we can be prepared now and get ready so when it does happen, yeah, we'll be alarmed, but we're prepared and ready so that we can meet it. How, how are you prepared and ready? Doing what you're doing on a Tuesday night, what you're doing every day when you're reading God's word and when you're letting the Holy Spirit take those words on a page and making them real to you, that you are working at keeping your walk with the Lord where it should be. So, 
prepared. He's prepared and he's ready. Now you say, well, 318 men, you know, what's that going to do? I think another important lesson, you know, because so often we get discouraged and we think, well, you know, what could God do with me? You know, all he asked, do you remember this old song that said, little is much when God is in it? And all he wants for us is to be ready and prepared, and he'll take our little, and he can work it. And I, I am convinced that, that Abram knew, okay, it's only 318, when you're talking about nine, king, nine kings and, and all this kind of thing, and, and there's power, all, all this kind of evil power out there, and he comes with his 318, but they're trained men. He's prepared and ready, and God gave him the ability to come up with a plan. I mean, this was great. Now, it says that that 318 trained men born in this household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Now, this is what I wanted you to see because Dan is, is, if you look on the map, is way north. So they've gone from the Dead Sea, from the Negev, all the way to, to Dan up in the north. Now, here's the plan. During the night, see, Abram's walking with God, so that means he's listening to him. So, you know, God just made it so clear. I know you don't got 318 men, but I'm working here. And, and if you just go in at night and you divide in two groups, you'll be able to encircle them and, and catch them off guard. So during the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobeth, north of Damascus. It sounds like he won to me. And he recovered all the goods in the, that, and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and other people. I'm just going to insert here. Wouldn't you think, this is why I think another thing that Lot is just trouble. He just doesn't get it. And when he's been rescued here, his family's rescued, his possessions are rescued, wouldn't you think that he, like Abram, would have learned from this? But where did he head back to? Oh, I think they're asking me to run for city council. Because the next time we hear, he is doing that. He is on the board of the city. So to me, he went, he went from, from being rescued, went right back into it. Now, verse 17, after Abram returned from defeating Keterlamer, Apparently, he was kind of the instigator. He was the one that was the bully. He was the big shot, and they had had enough, and so that's why they came after him. And so when he returned from defeating him, and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shabbat, the king's valley. So after this victory, I think the king of Sodom wanted to meet Abram. 
like, wow, that was a plan, and you only had, what, 318 men? I think king of Sodom, I want to talk to this guy. I want to meet him. So that's where we leave this right there for, for a few minutes. For three verses, we leave that. Okay, the king of Sodom is coming to meet Abram. And then for three verses, all of a sudden, we hear about the king of Salem, this Melchizedek. He is like, where in the world did he come from? And he's just like plunked right down right when Abraham needs him. You know, the, the big question, I know the big question is, you know, who is he and all that kind of thing. But you can, you can try to figure it out. And I don't know, maybe it's not a big deal to you. But to me, as I looked at this, it was a huge deal to me because I felt, look at Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. <laughs> that bread and wine, what is that the start of? The beginning, the, 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 just the thought, we know it looking, looking forward. And, and now he started that bread and wine. He's, he's the, the Passover feast. We know the Lord's Supper, the, the body broken, the bloodshed. Oh, who is this Melchizedek that just at the right time comes here? Oh, man, I still think he is the pre-Bethlehem Savior who always comes at the right time and knows just what to say if we're listening. And, you know, Abram, he's so typical. He's a typical human, and he's been walking with God, and he, but we've also seen him um, falter. So we know that it can be very possible that when he has a victory like this, you know, this is a major, major victory, and the king of Sodom wants to come and talk to him. And there, if there was a slightest bit of thought thinking, huh, wow, I really must have trained them well, or I must really be good at this. I mean, if, if, if there was just even a little inkling of a temptation to take it upon himself. Another beautiful thing about, about Melchizedek is... He was a priest. He was a priest of God Most High. That's the way he talks. He, is, he, he talks about God as the God who is the Most High God. And a priest, you know what a priest is? It's the go-between between God and man. Aaron was not the first priest. Moses' brother Aaron was not the first priest. Melchizedek was the was the first priest. And, and here he is the go-between between God and Abram. And I wonder if this is going through Abram's mind. Who is this man? Who is this king? I never heard from him. I never heard of him before. He is not part of the covenant blessing. He's, he wasn't one of us. And yet, listen to him. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. What do you think Abram was thinking when he heard? Because if in my mind, if I can picture the king of Salem or king of Jerusalem, you know, um, 
I would, I would dare say that the king of Salem was, was, was tall, and he talked with authority, and he stood up straight, and, and he was convinced, he was sure, and, and he talked with confidence, and, and he had this connection that was obvious with God. I think his presence alone. But then when out came his booming voice, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. That had to be something for Abram to hear. I'm sure he got put in this place. And if there was any inkling of taking any credit at all, boy, he, this king of Salem really really got rid of that. And then he goes on and says, and blessed be God most high who delivered your enemies, Abram, into your hand. Like I said, if there was any inkling at all that he might have taken the credit for this victory, King of Salem just really got rid of it because look at, blessed be Abraham. And then bless be God for what he did through you. I think it was such a moving experience for Abram that in verse, um, the end of verse 20, like I said, just three little verses and all what transpired here, Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This is the first time we hear about tithe, the tenth. But Abram, it was like Abram felt like, I got, wow, I got to give him something. I've got, I, he just felt compelled to give back to him. I thought, oh, when, when, when God just seems to fall into our life at just the right time. When Jesus just seems to make his presence so real in our lives at just the right time. Don't you just somehow, you're, you're just taken in amazement at, at how good and gracious he is, that you just want to give back. And that's all we hear. I mean, that's just all, that's just three verses of this amazing story about this Melchizedek. Hmm. Now, verse 21, remember, this is where we left him. You know, we, we left him um, in verse 17, but now the king of Sodom said to Abram, I think he's probably saying, you know what, I, I want to I reward you because after all, I mean, you helped win this thing. So why don't, why don't I take all the people and you take all the goods? We'll split it. In verse 22, I don't think it took Abram because he has learned, he is, he's still got king, king of Salem, Melchizedek's words ringing in his ears. And he doesn't even bat an eyelash before he said, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, and I think he said it with volume, and I think he used even, even hand gestures to make a point when he said, I have raised my hand to the Lord. And then he quotes Melchizedek, God most high creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath. 
Yeah, that king of Salem affected Abram in a big way. And then he goes on and says, and that I will accept nothing belonging to you. <laughs> and I think he probably, you know, kind of pronounced nothing a little louder. You know, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread of the thong of a, not even a thread or a thong of a sandal, so that you may never be able to say, I made Abram rich. See, he keeps hearing Melchizedek saying, God the Most High, he delivered your enemies. He did it into your hand. He did it. And then he goes on and says, I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who, sent, who went with me. Let them have their share. I mean, he says, we needed supplies, we needed sustenance, and so, yeah, I'll take what we needed, but that's it. And I, you know, all week I thought, let's see, you know, how, how do we end tonight. I mean, it was kind of a, a ending to a chapter, and I know Abram's had quite the experience, and, and he made it very clear he does not want to take, he doesn't want to give that king of Sodom any, any credit at all. And it's so tempting. I think in, in the scope of things, humans love to, to be to be praised or they love to be given credit. I mean, it feels good, doesn't it? And yet, it isn't ours to take. I mean, you think about how we are just, that song, make me an instrument of your peace. We, we are just, we are just something that God can borrow to use as a shell and a mouthpiece and hands and feet. He can use that. And Dom and I were watching um, Bill Gaither's Legacy Homecoming the other night. We were watching it. And, you know, they're in their 80s, and he's like 89, I think, almost. And, and um, he knows that, you know, he's on his victory lap. <laughs> And they were interviewing him about, you know, what, what caused her, you know, you to be inspired to write this song or that song. And, and it was just so interesting to hear how, how they came up with some of their songs and how, how words, you know, Gloria was such a master. She was given such a gift of, of wording. And so she was the one that was talking about one experience. It was back in 1972. And they, were, they had just had some big songs that were, you know, kind of going all around the world. And they were becoming famous. And, and the concerts were, were big. And they were, and they were at a concert in 1972. And they finished probably with Because He Lives or The King Is Coming or something like that. And, and she said, before we even sung the last note, they were on their feet and they were clapping. 
And she said, oh, of course, you know, we too then were clapping because the, the song was, if it was either because he lives, we can face tomorrow, because he lives, all fear is gone, because we know he holds our future. You know? Or if it was the king is coming, the king is coming, praise God, he's coming for me. Either song would have left you ready to go. And so they were, they were so into praise to the Lord for those promises and she said, but the applause just kept going and going and going. And she said, then we realized that the praise had shifted from him to us. And she said, when it finally died down, we went backstage and we said, we need to write a song and that is when, in 1972, after this concert, the two of them wrote, let's just praise Lord. We have got to train our audiences that when it's tempting to praise us, anything we've been given or who we are, he's just singled us out to do his bidding. We can't take any credit for it. They wrote that song, let's just praise the Lord, let's just praise the Lord, let's lift our hands, our hearts, our voices, I guess they're living it up to you, whatever you want to lift, and praise the Lord. That's where the credit lies. I thought, that's a good way to end this lesson, because so often we want to take just a little bit of that credit, and, and only he is worthy of that kind of praise. And we can just consider it an honor to be used by him. So, Heavenly Father, again, you did it. You are showing us in, in very difficult lessons that if we dig, we can see ourselves. And so tonight, we thank you for the visuals that you gave us. You made it very clear that this is an ongoing struggle that we have with self always. And may we see that when even we feel we have excuses and we, and, and we can defend ourselves, may we be like Abraham, may we waive the right. Lord, we want the heavenly sunshine to come out of us. And that can't come out of us when we're fighting and quarreling and bickering because we want our way. Father, we have Jesus and we have his salvation and in comparison, nothing compares to that. So may we always fight that self-battle and may we, may we let you win. Because when you win, we win, really. So tonight, it was a good night. And we will give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.